0: Psalm 23, it's, it's a psalm that probably many of you have heard. Uh, Scott Allen informed me this is the, the funeral psalm. That's what he very chipper and cheerily called it. Um, I, I really want to do my best to sort of create a, a good tone uh, for this psalm. And because um, it's, uh, it's something that really, it deals with our, our greatest needs. It deals with our hopes. It deals with our fears. It deals with peace in the midst of crisis. It was written by David, and um, I I just hope this can be a a time for us to see the level of love and care that we experience from God as a father and as a a shepherd. So I I hope we can do that this morning by God's grace. Let me pray. Lord, uh, preaching is too much for, for anybody, for any individual. So we open your word and we seek to hear your voice through your word. So, Lord, uh, give us the heart and the mind to receive that. And, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would do that transforming work that only he can do. So, Lord, renew us this morning in your word, we pray. And we all said together, amen. Amen. Well, um, if you are a pastor and you prepare sermons, you spend many hours during the week, and this is what you you come up with, come up with stuff like this and, and notes. And you have things to stick to. And it, from here, it just looks horrible. You know, it looks like I just wrote a term paper. And, um, and I'm hoping to not be so tied to my notes. I'm typically not incredibly tied to my notes, but I, I really want to speak to you from the heart with this passage. Um, a friend of mine sent me a text um, last week, and he said, How do you process what happened in Orlando? Because he was getting ready to preach. He was another preacher, friend of mine. He said, how do you process what happened in Orlando? And I, I answered, you know, rather profoundly. I said, I don't know. Um, you know, 50 people gunned down, 50 sets of parents, hundreds of relatives now faced with the chaos and the confusion that, that comes with this level of tragedy, this level of sort of unimaginable tragedy that in some ways we're almost becoming a little desensitized to because we're seeing, it, we're seeing it become a little more prevalent in our nation. So his question was, how do you process that? And so, of course, I ask myself the same question. I say, how do you process this level of, of brokenness? Because that's what we're seeing when we see things like this. We're seeing brokenness. And not just your standard run-of-the-mill brokenness that, again, like I said, we, we kind of tend to grow numb to these days. But a brokenness of which we use the word evil to describe when we see things like this uh, break out. I mean, this is a, a different level of brokenness, isn't it? This is like a, an uncontained level of brokenness. This is a brokenness that has been left untreated and, and just continuing to be infected. I mean, this is a brokenness that is born from a love of self that becomes just absolutely boundless in its expression. Um, it's a brokenness that comes from a heritage, of brokenness. That saw our our great-great-great-great-grandfather Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, kill his brother Abel out of hatred and envy. It's born out of that. And what's horrifying as as we consider this, as we just step back for a minute and think that there is some place somewhere where people are suffering under the effects of brokenness, as we step back, what's horrifying is that it's nothing we're unfamiliar with in our own hearts. We have to own that. It's nothing that's unfamiliar with with us in our own hearts. And we we know that. And we can can relate to that when we think of the first time that we ever held any legitimate hatred or envy in in our own heart for another person. Because everybody here has done that. And it's that same brokenness that that we see here when we think of these these tragedies, not just in America but overseas. It's, It's simply... A brokenness that has spiraled to its most wicked and wretched end. And so the, the reason why I, I'm, I'm starting uh, so grim reaper on you this morning, okay, is because our brokenness creates something in us. It creates a need and it creates a longing for peace, doesn't it? That's what my heart cries out for when I, when I hear about things like that. I just want peace. And by peace... What I, what I mean as somebody who knows Christ is I mean uh, the quiet assurance that, that somehow I'm, I'm going to be provided for, that somehow people are going to be protected, that somehow God is going to come in and preserve us through this level of brokenness. What I'm looking for is a peace that, that comes with somebody having compassion and taking care of me, of us. I mean, is there ever a time that we don't want that? This just heightens that. This heightens our sensitivity and our need and our longing for that. I mean, is there ever a time when you don't long to bask in the hope that everything is going to be all right? And can we even make a statement like that? Is everything really going to be all right? It's a phrase, it's kind of a phrase that we just lob out there. Is everything really going to be all right when we see things like this unraveling before us and in greater greater frequency? Psalm 23 speaks to this. Let's read. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that a phenomenal passage? Just a phenomenal, phenomenal passage passage, we're going to see three things here as we step through this about the role of the shepherd in our life. Number one, he provides for us physically. He provides for us physically. He also protects us spiritually. And then thirdly, he preserves us eternally. As we step through this passage, we're going to key in to those three points. The first one is the shepherd provides. Gosh, I love that word. I love knowing that somebody is providing for me. And the shepherd here provides for the, for the king, for David, physically. The reason for David using the language of shepherd is because he's been a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Again, this wasn't a guy that was raised as the son of a king. This wasn't a guy who got his master's degree at an ivory league school. He didn't spend spring break on the coast of Florida hanging with his frat buddies. That wasn't David. Nobody voted David most likely to be king, right, in his high school yearbook. There were no rags to riches stories for David on the horizon. But all these years later, with everything that's happened to David, David returns to his roots. He was a shepherd because he tended sheep. That's what he did. And now he calls the Lord his shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd and by doing that what David is doing here which is really important for us is David is identifying himself as a sheep and again we got to remember who David is it's not like David didn't have any room to brag did he and we're talking about King David we're talking about a guy who was barely out of high school when he was anointed king over Israel let that do some stuff to your mind right We're talking about a guy who destroyed lions with his bare hands in his spare time. We're talking about a guy who was hired to be King Saul's personal musician. Write me some songs. Put something on my playlist. Assemble my iPod. David, you got the job. That's what David did. What else did David do? Well, there was that story about him laying out that nine-foot-tall giant with a slingshot, right? I mean, this is a guy with a colored past. This is a guy with some achievements. This is a guy whose on-the-ground combat skills were so epic that people wrote songs about him that hit the Billboard Top 100. That's what we're talking about when we talk about David. Not only that, right? So you got all of that, and, like, that's not enough. That's not enough for for, for David he also served the Lord so faithfully that this is what God said about him. This is what God proclaimed about David. He said, This is a man after my own heart. I mean, I don't know. When's the last time that showed up on your resume, right? I mean, seriously, man after God's own heart. So I see you have a, a master's degree in business management, five years running your department, and oh, I see you were voted a uh, man after God's own heart. I mean, that's insane. I mean, how, how do we, what do we do with that, with that kind of resume, with that level of skill and accomplishments? Well, I, I don't know what I would do with it. I'm afraid about what I would do with it, actually. But what we have here is a model of what David did with it. After all his accomplishments, it's almost like he comes before the Lord, he puts a match to his resume, right? And he says, as long as I have you, I have everything I need to satisfy that's what he's saying. Notice what he doesn't say. Notice he doesn't say, because the Lord has blessed me, I shall not want. That's not what he says right there. And I think that's important for us to to notice that distinction because we tend, I tend, all right, I tend to have a what have you done for me lately kind of relationship with God many times. Kind of a what have you done for me recently deal with God. God is good when life is good. But in reality, God is good because he is our life. That's what David's locking into right now. When we hunger and thirst after things, it's not because we lack things. That's not what's going on. It's because we're trying to satisfy a hunger and a thirst for something that only God, the person of God, can fill and quench. David knew only God could satisfy his longing for what only God had the ability to provide So that's what he's doing right here. And what he's tapping into rather uncomfortably for us is he's tapping into our total inability as people to provide for ourselves as much as we like to think otherwise. And this is why he categorizes himself as a sheep. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He doesn't say the Lord is my lion tamer, I shall not want. That's not the the categorization he puts on himself. He's saying... The only comparison that I can find for myself is with one of the most helpless, dependent, and unintelligent animals God has ever created. That's all I got when I look at myself. And what did we just learn about David? Got a resume like a mile long. So what a place that he puts himself and finds himself in. And then look how beautiful and comforting and heart-soothing The imagery is here, when we go into verse 2 and 3, he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So we see lying down in green pastures. We see being led beside still waters. We see David's soul being restored, strength being revived, because his basic creaturely needs have been satisfied. God satisfied those creaturely needs that he has. And this, this really helps us understand the fatherliness of God, the fatherly quality of God. I was with uh, Seth Buckwalter um, a few nights ago, and uh, the Buckwalters have a new baby, a new son named Jack, and he was with, he was with his son Jack, and Jack was, uh, I don't know how shall we say it, wailing rather loudly upstairs when he was supposed to be sleeping. And... Um, It was kind of amazing to see Seth, his patience, his waiting, uh, preparing more food, walking back and forth upstairs, feeding Jack, holding Jack, uh, calming Jack down. It's Father's Day. It's a really appropriate illustration that I'm going through right now, obviously. But eventually what happened because of all of that is that Jack miraculously and very gratefully fell asleep for everybody else involved. He fell asleep. That's fatherliness. That's what Jack identifies with when he looks up and he sees his dad, Seth. David here identifies with God's fatherliness. He identifies with God's shepherding qualities. That's what he's doing right here. Isaiah 40 says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with the young. So again, we see this affirmation of God being gentle, being caring, caring even about the things that we wonder if he really cares about. Because for some reason, you know what's strange about me? Is I have a tendency to think God doesn't identify with us, with me, like sheep. Like he can't possibly be bothered with my humanness, my humanity. It's kind of a default thing for us. But what we see here is when we identify with him as shepherd, we see he can't, he can't do any less than that. God can't be any less than the shepherd that he is. And in fact, he does more because he's committing his righteousness to be the path that we walk down. So what's God's end game? Well, it's right there in verse 3. Those paths Of righteousness that he is leading us down. You know what I love about this? David tells us why. You know, a lot of times we we do things, especially when we're in church, we do things. We just assume that people know why we do what we do. We try to do a job here of always saying why we do the things we do, and we're not going to get that right all the time. But as David leads us through this passage, you know what he tells us? He tells us why. Why does God, why does God exhibit these fatherly shepherding qualities? Is it for our sake? Does he do it because we're so rad? Does he do it because we're so awesome? Does he do it because we're so deserving? Does he do it because we're, we're just so gosh darn cute? That he just, he, just can't keep his, he just can't stay away. No, he actually does it for his namesake. It, it's, it's better than that. The sake of his name. Do you see what it says right there? When I look down at verse 3, it says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Like we just glide over a line like that. Why is he leading me down paths of righteousness? For his namesake. It's so that the, the godness... Of God will be seen and known. In other words, if God is for God, if His motivation is for God, it means I can trust Him to never betray that. Because it means that my actions and my feelings don't sway that. So if God is for God, it means I can trust that He'll never betray His character, it means that He's gonna remain holy. He's not going to fudge out on his holiness, right? He's not going to skip out on his righteousness. He's going to continue to display graciousness. He's going to continue to be loving and kind and good and merciful. Because why? He does it for his namesake. I mean, that's like steel. That's like something that's immovable right there for us. And in that, we can trust his provision, his basic provision in our lives. you guys remember when we go to, to Matthew, remember go to the sermon that Jesus preached, and he said, "Why are you anxious for things of which God will provide for? Why are you anxious for basic necessities that God has taken care of? These are the basic necessities. This is the provision that God has for us, because he's fatherly and because he's a shepherd and because he can't not be those things. He's God. He does it for his name's sake. Secondly, the shepherd protects us spiritually. Let's pick up in verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Stop right there. It says, even though. All right? I want to just kind of pause on those two words. For a minute, because if we're honest, we all would just like it to end after verse three. Like I'd be really good if it was Psalm twenty-three, verses one through three, end. Really super short pop song. That's all he had. You know, that's all he had in the tank. Three chords, done. Top of the charts. It doesn't end after verse three because I'll tell you when I go back and I read one through three, man, I I like green pastures. You know, I mean, I'm I'm in Ohio. You know, I like green pastures. I like still water. I like soul restoration. I'm all for that. I like paths of righteousness. I mean, that's what I want printed on the next batch of substance t-shirts that we make, right? That's what I want. That's what, that's what my heart is like leaning towards and pulling towards, right? But here's my question, all right? Weren't we just on a path of righteousness like a second ago? I mean, what's odd is that this righteous path is leading us through something entirely different for us. We see here as we get into verse 4 that this righteous path that we're on is leading us into a valley. And my question is, is what does this tell us about the leadership of David shepherd? What does it tell us about him? That on one hand, he has us on a path of righteousness, and now we're just leading into a valley, a dark, shadowy, deathly valley. Well, it tells us that he simply doesn't allow us to become grazers. Grazers, right? Because we have, we have grazing hearts, don't we? And we, we, we love to graze. We love to feed. We love to be fed. I do. All right, you do. Right? I mean, do you guys know, do you guys know that 25,000 people step into Joel Osteen's church every week? Why? Because people like to graze. That's why. Because they like to feed. They like to be on vacation forever in green pastures. And they like preachers who tell them that what God really wants is to spoon feed the grass into their big mouths with a shovel until they keel over and continue to binge on more grass. You know who I'm describing there? Yours true. That's what I like. That's what I'm drawn to. That's really what I want. I want to feed and I want to graze. The problem with that kind of God is that it makes him a really unkind shepherd. If he allows his sheep to do that. If God is truly the good shepherd of our souls, it means He protects us from that which threatens us from the inside and also from the outside. You look down in verse 4. I want us to hold there on the even though. It doesn't say even if. It says even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Then as we move down through the passage, what we see is that the good shepherd, he's there. Right? The good shepherd is there. He was there. Is he there right now with grieving parents who had sons and daughters in Orlando? He's there. Is he there with just literally the uncountable, innumerable crises that we see overseas? Is he there? He's there. Because the good shepherd guards his sheep. Because the good shepherd wards off dangerous attacks from the enemy with his rod. And he uses his staff to steady and secure their steps. And so this comfort that David is talking about, it's comfort knowing that evil and death cannot ultimately prevail when our guardian happens to be the one who's triumphed over evil. The reason why we have protection is because we have presence. You are with me. You are with me. Like, that, that phrase just literally goes in one ear and out. You are with me. When my wife is with me, it's not like the last three days when she abandoned me at some women's conference. That's not with me. That's not with me. When she's with me, she's right here. She's by my side. She's there to help me. She's there to love me. She's there to care for me. She's there. She's there. It's a presence. It's a presence, a felt presence. So the expectation here is that you will walk through seasons where the shadow of sin and death hovers over you. You will. But you also have the expectation that it's something you walk through. It doesn't say, even though I walk and stop and set up a lawn chair and camp out in the valley of the shadow of death. It says, as I walk through, it will pass. God is not sitting on the cliffs, staring down. God is not setting up a lawn chair on top of the cliffs, overlooking the valley with some sun tea, rooting you on, placing a bet with his bookie that you're going to make it through. God is not doing that. Your life is not the hunger games. Our life is not the hunger games. God is not an observer, right? He's not the guy that's sitting in the balcony seats watching us play act our way through life. God is not preoccupied, right? He's not refreshing his Facebook status while black clouds start forming around us. That's not his role. This tells us something completely different. The psalmist says, I am never alone. He says, you are walking with me. He is carrying me through the valley. He's beating down the wolves. He's pulling me back from danger. The valley is temporary. It's a passage, but it's temporary. You walk through it. The shadows will lift with the dawning of the sun. It's not forever. The good shepherd will protect because he loves and cares for his sheep, not from a distance, we can look to God and say, you are with me. Because he's in the trenches. He's in the trenches. And you know what else? He controls the depth of those trenches too. He controls the width of the valley too. He controls the light in the valley and the shade of darkness that is sort of looming over us. He controls that. There's no part of that that he's not in control of. But he's allowing us to walk through it so that, like David, in verse 4, we can look up and say, oh, you are with me. Because vision now is a little obscured than when it was when I was green grassing it and I was drinking that delicious water. It's a little bit different now. Isaiah 43-2, it echoes these words. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. That sounds like hope to me. Sheep have a future. Sheep have a secure future. So the shepherd provides. He protects. The shepherd preserves, as we read verses 5 and 6... You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So David now comes through the valley. He's through the valley now. And he comes to be greeted by a banquet table prepared and shared by his shepherd. Even though, even though the threat of his enemies still surrounds him because the table is being prepared in the midst of his enemies. But nevertheless, his head is anointed with oil. His cup overflows. It's something you would have expected back in that day when you went and somebody brought you in as a guest into their home. There's an abundance. There's an extravagance that flows from the heart of the shepherd. Again, you would expect this if you went and visited a friend. You'd expect to experience rest You'd expect to re- experience recuperation. I mean, have you ever been to somebody's house and like, it felt like they forgot you were coming that day? Right? You kind of walk in, the place is like a mess, and they go, oh, come on in. And you're like, oh, we're in trouble now, aren't we? Big trouble, right? That's not the picture we have of God here. What we have here with God is that he's the most hospitable host. A feast awaits A feast awaits the sheep of the good shepherd. His goodness and his mercy. Two really big words that we don't want to just go, goodness, mercy. Goodness, mercy. Think about those words. His goodness and mercy will adorn us. They will follow us. They will be part of who we are in the lives that we live as we walk through trials, knowing that even though the darkness, it descends and you are promised that the darkness is going to descend. We are in the presence of the Lord forever. God preserves us, and because of that, we persevere. God preserves us, and because of that, we persevere. Because He is our peace. Eugene Peterson made this comment. He said, perseverance is not the result of our determination. He said, it is the result of God's faithfulness. Because we don't really hear a determined David here. We hear somebody who is a sheep that is receiving what the shepherd is giving him freely, faithfully, and graciously, right? How do we find peace? Read through all this. I still want peace. I mean I still I, I long for that. I long for peace. When I look at you, when I look in your eyes, I long for you to have peace. I don't know what this day conjures up. But you know what this passage does? This passage brings us peace. This passage accounts for where we are because it tells us who God is. How do we find this peace? And not only just find it, but how do we, how do we keep it? I usually have three points. I have one point. You guys can rejoice in that later. How do we find and keep this peace? Well, this is what I got. This is all I got. We need to be a sheep. Not the most profound ending to a sermon that you will hear. We need to be a sheep. How do we come before God? And what do we see here that David's doing? Does he come before God as a king? He's a king. Does he come before God as a warrior? Because he's a warrior. Does he come before God with that resume that he just scrolls out? Because he just, he just had a, just a, a beast of a life? He doesn't. He comes to God as a sheep. How do you come to God? A king, a warrior, or a sheep? Argue about that. Let's argue about that. Remember how we learned that last week? About arguing these things within yourself. Struggling with the reality of how these things are impacting you. How do you come before the Lord? As a warrior, you fighting, battling. You come before him as a king. I got it. I'm the king. Nobody tells me what to do. I tell you what to do. But look how, look how David was helped as the greatest king Israel ever had, as the greatest warrior Israel had ever have. Look, look what happens right here. Look what happens when he writes this song. What does he do? What does he do? He stopped being a king. He stopped being a warrior. He went back to being a sheep. And he turned to the true king who is also shepherd of his soul. Let's go to John 10. Because what we're going to see in John 10 is how we are to relate with the shepherd of our souls because the difference between us and David right now is that we're on this side now of the cross. David was on the other side of the cross. He was on the other side of the resurrection. So now we can relate to this passage even differently than David did because we are on this side of the good shepherd who laid out his life. Just a couple of verses here in John 10, verse 14. It says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the father knows me, and I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And let's pick up in verse 27. It says this, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. So first, Jesus lays out, if we go back to verse 14, he tells us who he is. He tells us what he's done. And then he tells us how it is that we respond. So again, verse 27, it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. He didn't say the sheep. He didn't say the sheep. He said my sheep. And in verse 28, he said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So when we look at a passage like this and we ask questions like, how do I find peace? And if I am a sheep, what do I do? What are my requirements? Well, he says it right there. He says what the requirements are. He tells us what we're supposed to do. Don't you love it when somebody tells you what to do because you don't know what to do? You know, not when you're like pushing against somebody saying, don't tell me what to do. And it's like, I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. And Jesus tells us what to do. He says, hear the shepherd's voice and follow him. That's the response of the sheep. Because you know what happens then? A sheep gets cared for by a shepherd. We receive from a shepherd like a sheep. We walk through the valley like a sheep. We stand in the open fields of life surrounded by all the elements like a sheep. And you know what? It's not safe. Being a sheep is not safe. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that following Christ and being a sheep of his pasture is a safe place to be in. There are other sheep. And sheep aren't like super wonderful to each other all the time, right? Sheep bite. There's also wolves. There's also people wanting to get in there, grab sheep, and literally destroy them and eat them alive. There's also valleys. There's dark areas and places and moments and season in our lives. But there's also a shepherd if you're a sheep. Stop trying to be king over your life. Stop trying to be the warrior over your life. Ronnie, I don't want to be needy. I don't either. I hate being so needy. I hate being. Being so needy because I want to be in control like a king. I want to be powerful. I want to have some stuff like a warrior. The problem is that a king and a warrior are not lying in green pastures besides still waters. A king and a warrior are not walking through the valley guided by the fearless comfort of a shepherd's staff and protective rod. They're not celebrating at the banquet table, prepared for them in the middle of adversity. They're trying to make it their own way. They're trying to chart their own course. They're trying to fulfill their own needs. They've missed the benefits that come from being a sheep who's provided for, who's protected and preserved by the good shepherd. A shepherd like this, he doesn't just give us a better life He lays down his life. And there's a big difference. And what we see in Jesus and what's so encouraging for us as we think of the person of Jesus is that we have somebody who is both sheep and shepherd. He needed his physical needs met when he was down here, didn't he? He needed his shepherd father to lead him to green pastures and still waters. He was fully human. He needed physical restoration. He needed his father to walk beside him in the valley of death. And he went through the valley of death. He needed his father to be in his presence when he was crucified by his enemies. This is why Jesus is the shepherd of our souls. That's why he's good. He was led like a sheep, but he laid his life down like a shepherd. And that is the peace. That is the peace of which we come into if we give up our lives and say, Lord, you are my shepherd. I shall not want. We sing a song called Come Ye Sinner, don't we? One of the great lines in that song is all the fitness he requires is to see your need of him. Some of us know we're needy. But you know what the real problem is? We're not needy enough. We're not needy enough. The problem is our need for being needy isn't strong enough. But look at the hope that we have as people who lay aside our kingliness, lay aside our warrior and come before the Lord and say, help me, be my shepherd. Lead me beside green pastures, still waters. Restore me. Do you need restoration? Because I do. Because I'm scared a lot about a lot of things. And in those moments, it's because I don't see my need as being needy enough to need a shepherd over my soul. So let's... Bow our heads. Let's pray about our neediness before the Lord. Let's pray that we would recognize who He is and how it is He wants to come by us and shepherd us. Because by being a sheep, you can be everything else God has called you and gifted you to be. Lord, This is hard for us. This was probably hard for David to write. Only you know that. But this is hard for us to grapple with. Because when we go to a place of being that desperately needy, it means that we've relinquished control. It means that we're finally coming to grips with our true identity. And it scares us. Because there's a lot of sin that is circulating in our thoughts, and in our heart. Today, Lord, we come to you like we always do as needy, needy people. We come to you having read this passage, recognizing your fatherliness, the way that you care for us as a shepherd cares for his sheep, the way that you ask us to hear your voice and simply follow you because you are leading us. We don't know how to lead ourselves. We need you to be that comfort, that care, that protection, that provision. Lord, continue to preserve us. Lord, we need you to do all these things in us because we actually are sheep that represent the shepherd that cares for us. It's not all about us being for us, it's all about the light of your fatherliness that shines through us to other people, to our community, to our neighbors. Lord, be our shepherd this morning. We want to be your sheep. Show us the depths of our neediness, Lord. Show us the truth that all we have truly is you. And that is the best predicament for us to be in. It's the most joyful place for us to be in. It's the most restorative place for us to be in. Thank you for your goodness and your care for us today. We pray and all God's people said, amen.